0: This is your Tuesday Data Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day on the show. Lots of good stuff coming up today. Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a little while for a film review session looking at Justin Jefferson and just kind of where he was lining up Sunday. What was different in this game versus past years for him and uh I'm mixing a little bit of stuff from Jefferson and Kevin O'Connell post game from Sunday as well so hope you enjoy that a haiku look back at Sunday's game as well with my good friend Keith Rashad another award winning season of my least favorite team is my favorite team got to get to Anthony Edwards an apology for a anti-gay slur he used um last weekend and kind of getting into that story But first, what did I miss? You know, I think in this business, the nature of sports, the way things kind of go these days, we tend to move on really quickly from whether it's seasons, games, stories, Um, you know, we analyze, but there's so much, you know, so many sports going on, so much, particularly in this market, that... You know, we kind of usher out one team rather quickly. And I feel like that kind of happened lately with, you know, the Vikings beating the Packers on Sunday. The Gophers football team suddenly looking, you know, very formidable. Not so much even just because of how they've looked against two inferior opponents, but how the rest of the Big Ten West looks very vulnerable this year. And looking at these teams saying, hey, maybe the Gophers are the best team in the West. We're going to have to find out. But um, so you got that. Uh, Minnesota United is kicking into high gear here down the stretch. They're in a a slump. They got a huge match against LAFC tonight, and we're kind of locked in on that. And the Twins quickly got dispatched to the rearview mirror. I know they still have 23 games left. I know there's still a mathematical possibility for them to go on a hot streak here and rally and make the postseason. But It sure felt like there was a changing of the guard over the weekend, particularly from baseball to football season when the Twins got swept by Cleveland. They're now five games back of Cleveland with 23 to play. Uh, And by the way, they're a couple games behind Chicago as well, which doesn't make things any easier. And I know they've got lots of games left against those teams. I think 13 or 14 against those teams still at the end of this season, but before... Before we turn the page entirely on the Twins, before we kind of let this season drift away, and they are under 500 now, 69 and 70, been stuck on 69 for a little while now. now. Before we turn the page completely on that, I need to revisit something from June because I feel like, for as much as they still had an opportunity in September, as recently as four or five days ago, a good, a bona fide opportunity to win the division this AL Central race was really not so much won or lost, but kind of determined, if that makes sense, with a five-game swing against Cleveland in late June. And I, I don't do this to kind of bring up bad memories. It's just I don't want us to forget how how much of an opportunity they had back in June and how much they let it slip away. Now, they, they had these they played eight games against Cleveland between June twenty-first and June thirtieth. Three of them at Target Field, five of them in Cleveland. I think one of them was an early kind of a makeup from a from a rainout. So June 21st, they lose 6-5 to Cleveland at Target Field, a game in which the Twins led 5-3 going into the eighth inning. Cleveland, I'm sorry, leading 5-5. Yeah, leading 5-3 going in the 8th. Uh, Cleveland gets 2 in the 8th, 1 in the 11th to win that game. Very next game after that, Twins lose 11-10 to the Guardians in that game. Uh, that was an even bigger heartbreaker. Twins um, had a huge lead in that game. They were up, uh, what, 6-4. and Cleveland rallied for 7-6. Then Twins were up 10-7. Cleveland gets 4 in the ninth in that game. This is when Emilio Pagan was really going through a lot of his struggles, Pagan um, gave up gave up a bunch in that uh, in that stretch. So two games right there that they gave away that they could have really made some distance, and it only got worse. That series in Cleveland, the Twins did take two of the five games, but the other three a three two loss, a seven six loss, and a five three loss. The last two were walk offs. The three two loss uh, came after the Twins had led um had led two to one going into the bottom of the eighth. So five games where they blew late leads to Cleveland, some of them in excruciating fashion. And that right there, that was a chance to bury Cleveland. After the twins had a really good start, you know, they could have put Cleveland eight or nine games back with the way that the way that the rest of July went. Instead, you know, the Twins rebuilt a little bit of a division lead after after those series were done, but it really never felt the rest of the way like they were in command. That was their chance to take command of the division lead. And right there, they just didn't have the bullpen, didn't have the pitching to get it all the way to the finish line. So just don't forget about that when you come to the season's end and you think about, ah, man, they didn't get it done in September yet. Well, they didn't get it done in June. And sometimes those games count just as much as the ones at the end of a season. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there is an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. So a lot of the narrative going into this Viking season was Justin Jefferson is going to get even better. And I was like, how is Justin Jefferson going to get even better? He had over 3,000 yards receiving combined in his first two seasons in the NFL. The most receiving yards of anybody in the league in that span. He's you know, second in the L- Rookie of the Year voting in 2020. Probably should have been first. Justin Herbert, no offense to quarterbacks. Quarterbacks get all the glory. He's awfully good. Um, uh, I tried to try to get Justin Jefferson to, to admit to that in a podcast episode, but he wouldn't bite. Uh that was a while ago. But you know, great rookie season, even better in his uh second year, had 108 catches over sixteen hundred yards, ten touchdowns. But the narrative this offseason is like Justin Jefferson's gonna be even better. Uh Kevin O'Connell's gonna come in, he's gonna, you know, move him into space, he's gonna create these mismatches, create these like small edges by uh, putting him in different positions on the field, by putting him into more pre-snap motion different things that are going to create different matchup problems and make Justin Jefferson even better and I'll admit it I don't know if I was buying it altogether I am buying it more now that's for sure after nine catches 184 yards two touchdowns against the Packers and you know it it was kind of was hard to conceptualize until we saw it Um, but now we've seen it and it's a little bit easier to imagine how how something this good can be even better and after that game uh, Kevin O'Connell talked about how it's a credit to Justin Jefferson that he's able to do so much on the field.
1: Uh, first and foremost, I credit Justin for being able to handle a lot. You know, we move him around a lot. We we ask him to play multiple uh, spots. Uh, you know, he's not just, uh, you know, an X receiver that lines up over here and, and dictates
0: coverage. We're not going to allow that to happen. Jefferson, for his part, talked about how much he likes to you know, how much he likes being in this offense, how much he likes the idea of being moved around on the field a little bit more, how about how much he likes that pre-snap motion, how much he imagines it's only going to increase as the year goes on, and that would not surprise me based on how much success they had with it on Sunday.
1: A lot of motioning, uh, a lot of motioning when I move. Uh, I mean, but that that gets me to see, you know, what really their defense is in. If they're in a zone look, uh, if a man is coming follow me. So uh, that's kind of why I like the motioning, how I run my routes. Uh, if I if I'm getting a man look, if I'm getting a zone look. So uh, I, I definitely like the motioning, just you know, seeing the whole field, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing a lot more.
0: Now it worked in one game, but just how different was it really? Was it really that different? Well. For that, I want to bring in Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer for our film review session. Andrew covers the Vikings, of course, went back and watched every catch of Justin Jefferson's career over the first two years and went back and watched the entire game already from Sunday to see exactly what was going on, what was different, what was the same, how were the Vikings using him differently, how can we quantify this difference, not just in yards, not just in catches, but in terms of percentages of plays in different places. So Andrew, Justin Jefferson had an awfully good game against um, the Packers, and we, you know, Royce and I talked about this a little bit on Monday. But just the narrative going into this season was another level, another gear for Justin Jefferson, which seemed, you know, a little bit far fetched given how good he already had been in those first two seasons. I think they think he had the most receiving yards combined of anyone in the NFL those first two seasons. But you, um, you know, you did. Before the season started, you wrote a big piece on Jefferson, just looking at basically every 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 catch, every target he's had in, in his career, and just kind of looking at how he's been used. As you looked at this game against Green Bay, anything in particular stand out to you in terms of what was kind of the same? What was you know what was the, what were just Justin Jefferson things that were always going to be the same, but also different p- different ways they were using him, or different ways they were lining up, things like that.
2: Yeah, I, to go off for a career-high 184 yards in his first game under Kevin O'Connell, you couldn't really ask for much of a better start between these two. And I think when you're looking at Justin and the way they deployed him in this game, the biggest difference um, was how they used him and how they used his other receivers as well, I think, before the snap. And we, t- we talked about this before, but one of the big things that these um, I don't know if we call them newer wave because it's not new, but it's just coming back around in in fad in vogue. But these offenses in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Green Bay, um, the kind of Lafleur, McVay, Shanahan, Tree stuff, we're seeing these offenses move guys a lot before the snap and at the snap and getting them running starts into certain areas of the field or trying to buy just seconds of of time and buy inches of space. In this offense to create, and we didn't see that from the Kubiak. The Kubiak shade and side of things, um, the last couple of years for the Vikings was more kind of the older school style West Coast offense play action. We're not going to move a bunch beforehand, and so with this, we're seeing right away opening drive it paying dividends for the Vikings where Justin Jefferson's scoring on a fourth down. Uh, touchdown when he's moving at the snap and running kind of into the route in the flat that he's going to run. It was stuff like that. And it was also just his individual excellence. We're always going to see that, right? Um, You know, the 64 yard touchdown, he basically put Darnell Savage, the Packers safety kind of in a blender, turned him around um, with a, with a, a move, kind of a false step and uh cut on a post running out of the slot and that's how he got so wide open all he had to do then was outrun adrian amos so that's the kind of stuff that we're always going to see from justin jefferson but now that he's being helped by the scheme of it all um a little more so um it's less of his first two years was just line up and go beat the other guys and it's going to be a little bit less of that he's going to get a little bit more help on that front
0: You heard Kevin O'Connell. Let's listen to him here in a minute talking about how they just loved whatever, you know, that that play call on fourth down. They liked it so much that they didn't want to, like, lose momentum or give the Packers any kind of chance to get set up. They didn't even, you know, they had to protect, perhaps could have challenged the spot on the previous play with Adam Thielen. They were just like, nope, let's go. We got fourth down, let's just run this play, roll with it. This was O'Connell after the game talking about that.
1: Uh, I felt pretty strongly about that play call at that moment, um, especially uh, coming off of those third and eights or nines at that wherever we were at right there. Those are tough calls. There's not a lot of vertical grass. You're gonna have to hold a little bit. I thought Kirk made a great decision to hit Adam on that crosser and looked like he was close to the first down. So you're thinking about possibly challenging the spot And then ultimately, you got to have a call ready to go. But uh, about five seconds into it, I just said, "You know what? I love this call. Uh, We'll go. We'll go get this thing in the end zone." And felt really good about it. And then,
0: so I think you mentioned something earlier, Andrew, that was interesting. Just this this kind of idea of creating these kind of like small edges, and that's probably a good example of it, right? This just you know, if you've got Justin Jefferson moving at the snap of the ball, obviously in the NFL you can't be moving forward, but when you only need a yard, if you're moving even, you know, laterally along the line of scrimmage and you're giving him a running start and the defense doesn't quite know how to match that, he's going to beat somebody to a corner. And if you've got enough space, it ended up being a pretty easy pitch and catch.
2: Yeah. And that's all it took. And really all, all that happened was as soon as Jefferson starts moving at the snap, you see Rasul Douglas, the Packers corner, standing across from him on that side of the field, motion to his teammates on the other side. And he's trying to communicate like, Hey, Hey, the best player on the field right now is coming to you guys and they didn't pay attention to it it's it's goal line it's fourth down guys are locked into their assignments and so eric stokes is the corner on the opposite side guarding the outermost receiver on that side which at the time was adam thielen he's so locked into adam thielen that by the time the ball is snapped when jefferson is still in the backfield running that way towards stokes Stokes is turned almost toward the sideline, watching Thielen and kind of following him down into the end zone. So he has no chance of even seeing Jefferson come through because of how locked in he is and the timing of this, the motion at the snap, not just beforehand and everybody getting settled. This guy Jefferson being on the run when that ball is snapped and kind of hiding him behind the quarterback allows that miscommunication to happen because these things happen so quickly and so even though Razul Douglas tried to warn them that, hey, Jefferson was coming, uh, it just didn't matter because it happened that fast.
0: And you're writing about this a little bit more in your Tuesday film reveal. And you, you went back and rewatched basically the whole game already. How much how much of this kind of motion at the snap did the Vikings use and, and how much, you know, generally speaking, how much more of it was there than there was you know, last year?
2: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a ton in terms of like every year when you see the rankings come out at San Francisco leading the league because they do it 40 or 50 percent of the time. Um, and, and everybody who does it progressively, generally only about 15, 20, 25 percent. Um, and the Vikings had a lot of these in their running plays, actually, more so than their passing plays. So the Jefferson pass on fourth down at the goal line was really um, kind of an exception to the trend of what they were doing. They were mostly motioning at the snap on these running plays, trying to create extra gaps and and just a little bit extra room there for Dalvin cook down low. But overall they ran motion at the snap on 23% of their plays. And when you looked back at last year's numbers for the Vikings, um, I believe it was around 5% on passing plays and it was a little bit higher on running plays more toward league average, but uh, either way, twenty-three percent for Sunday against the Packers is much higher than they're used to around here, and it's just—it's. I think it's the start of something. I think we're going to continue to see this kind of build out and grow um, as they evolve this offense.
0: Now, we made something of um, Jefferson perhaps getting more work in the slot. You know, kind of lining up in different places. He did line up in the backfield twice, I believe, in this game. Those plays didn't necessarily work out so well i think those were both uh zero zero yard gains one one pass he caught and one i think dalvin cook run um the slot um the slot appearances weren't all that much more frequent than in his rookie season or in his second season but um it did appear that at the very least um they they found some success there because he had a lot of yards out of the slot including that 64 yard that we talked about before where you know and, and who knows if it's just if it's cause effect or if it just happens to be that play that gets the busted coverage, but he finds himself maybe with slightly different matchups, a little different angle, and he's able to get open kind of in the middle of the field and, you know, break off that big play. And that was a big part of the game, right? Cause the Vikings, I think at that point had just stopped the Packers on that fourth and goal from the one. And then they go back down and get points right after that. And they were able to, you know, not just flip field position, but, but drive down deep and get points. So, you know, on, on that play, like I said, it's just, some of it's just, you know, Jefferson's talent but some of it too is just it's hard to account for him when he's in different places
2: that's a big part of it and and part of it too is Irv Smith after the game called Justin Jefferson a walking mismatch and meaning that we can move him over a slot corner we can run him deep at a safety like Darnell Savage like they did on that 64-yard touchdown And it's going to be a mismatch in terms of their physical traits. Jefferson is going to be bigger than a slot corner. He's going to be quicker and faster than a safety. Um, And you can even put him on the outside where he has to work against a sideline and doesn't get that whole side of the field. And he can still soar over people and and get passes. And I think the slot stuff is he, he was so good at it at LSU and kind of was pigeonholed that way because he is, he is quick. He's not just fast. And that's the thing. A lot of guys can run, a four four in the 40 and get the long speed, but he's somebody that can shake you underneath too and get free and get free releases at the line of scrimmage, uh, create space underneath. And then also like we saw in that big touchdown against the Packers that he can set you up with some really refined route running uh, moves as well. And I think the slot just gives you more space to do that. It just gives him more space uh, with which to work.
0: So a couple more things, Andrew, as you kind of think about this offense, Going forward, you know they're you know they they've scored twenty three points, which is fine. They probably you know if they would have needed to, they maybe could have pressed the gas a little bit more. You're playing a little bit of ball control at the end, but they they did leave some some points on the board. They got a little conservative, I thought maybe in in the red zone. As you think 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 about the evolution of this offense, this was just game one. What well, what more might we see from? You know whether it's Dalvin Cook or the the rest of their playmakers or Jefferson, you know as, as he kind of gets even more comfortable with, you know what what Kevin O'Connell's wanting to do, what Kirk Cousins is able to do in this offense.
2: Yeah, I want to see what they've got in store um, for Irv Smith and and Irv Smith. You know I don't think he's going to be on the level of Dalvin Jefferson, even Thielen in this offense. But you know they've got. Roles for him. It was in the spring when Kevin O'Connell was talking about how we view him as a big part of this offense, and uh, Kevin O'Connell was really coy after the game about why Irv didn't play that much. Um, But I talked to Irv after the game, and Irv basically said, um, "Yeah, I I wasn't. We're not physically there yet. I missed a lot of training camp. We didn't want to rush me into this. We wanted to get a feel for it, and kind of, you know." Uh, touch and go from there in terms of his reps and how much game action he's getting. He's coming off that ligament damage in his thumb that happened while he was blocking in training camp. And the Vikings only brought him off the bench, mainly on passing downs. Um, and he didn't catch either of his two passes. So there's a lot more there with Irv in terms of what's there in the offense for him. Uh, it's not going to be just that Johnny Munt catch five yard button hooks underneath kind of roll. They're They want to get him downfield and push the ball. So I'm really curious to see how the offense can evolve with him once he's healthy, once he's up to speed, once he's conditioned and all that. Um, And I guess the the other interesting thing to me was Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had the exact same usage like he normally has uh, under Mike Zimmer, which is fascinating to me because this was a game in which the Vikings led wire to wire. Um, You probably could have taken Dalvin out in the fourth quarter instead of getting him up to 20 carries, uh, I think is what it was. He ended up playing 77% of the snaps and taking 71% of the carries. That is, that is basically a Mike Zimmer uh, stat line with, I think it was 23 touches total. So I, and he have, he averaged, I believe 21 touches uh, uh, over the last three years. So any thought of, are they going to do more of a committee, not lean on Dalvin as much to me, it doesn't seem so. It seems like they're still going to you know, lean on Dalvin. It's just not going to be first and 10 run, second and 10 run.
0: Well, we'll have to see more of the tendencies and stuff as, as time goes on, but uh, an encouraging start for the Vikings offense, Justin Jefferson in particular, Kirk Cousins in particular. And yeah, they, they couldn't have, uh, they couldn't probably have asked for a whole lot more out of that debut based on, you know, just expectations, preseason notions. I mean, very seldom do those things kind of line up the way they, they'd hope they do, but they certainly did in that first game.
2: Yeah, they really did. They really did. And I, I can't think of one thing, one area that really disappointed. Um, that secondary too. I guess I, I'm, I thought Rodgers would have tested that secondary, but those receivers clearly weren't up to snuff. So we'll have to see if Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown can show us more of, more of what the Vikings have back there.
0: Sounds good, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks a so lot, Mike. Appreciate it. Back for another award-winning year, my least favorite team is my favorite team. Keith Rashad, longtime friend of mine, longtime suffering Vikings fan, and we, Keith, the best part in my mind, and you know, the thousands of people who gave us feedback on this also agreed. Um, the best part about the segment last year was the poetry, the haiku that you offered. Um, it's kind of it became a staple, maybe midpoint of the segment last year so we've decided this year that that's going to be that's going to make up pretty much the entirety of the segment this year so i'm excited for that and i'm excited in particular to hear what you have cooked up for us today coming off of a 23-7 win over the green bay packers so welcome
1: well thank you very much i have a four haiku for you today
0: okay let's hear the first one jump right in justin jefferson is
1: really good at football i hate the packers
0: Well, that's, you know, you do, you have said in the past that you have the soul of a poet and that's, you know, sometimes poetry, sometimes poetry evokes like imagery based on its subtleness or based on like, you don't quite know exactly what the person is trying to say. There's like shades of meaning. You don't leave a lot to the imagination with that haiku.
1: Well, you know, the haiku is supposed to capture a moment, right? A, a feeling or a thought or, or a singular sort of incident that that just expresses where you are in that particular space and time. And so uh, this one was about Justin
0: Jefferson. I, I don't see how it's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And we Andrew Kramer and I talked a lot about Justin Jefferson in our film review, so we don't need to belabor everything he did. but. My goodness, nine catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns will turn a man to poetry. Okay, are you ready for number two? Yes. Okay.
1: a Raj clearly needs to drink more ayahuasca. I hate the Packers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am... Okay, I I haven't read these beforehand, um, but I am sensing there might be a third... um, a third leg of the haiku theme here because you've ended both of these with, I hate the Packers. And that's probably a good, uh, probably as good a, a time as any to talk about. Um, my least favorite team is my favorite team. If you guys aren't familiar with the book Keith wrote of that same title many years ago. So need needs some updating. I would imagine if he ever uh, would get off of his butt and do that. Um, but you did write a book of that name and I don't think, a lot could happen in the the rest of the course of Vikings history, but there would be you would be hard pressed to eclipse the Packers as the number one team you hate.
1: I think that that's absolutely true, and I, I would also say that if I ever did write a, a second edition to that book, it probably would be just in poetry.
0: Just in poetry, like, do you think? How do you think people respond to that?
1: I think that. Um, it's well understood that poetry is perhaps the the most well appreciated and respected form of of you could even say pop culture out there. I mean, if there isn't anybody who doesn't love poetry or isn't writing it themselves or actively reading it, I, I haven't met that person.
0: I, a full uh, the last data we have is seventy two percent of all daily delivery listeners are actually poets too, in addition to being avid uh, listeners of this podcast. So. That's good to know. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's an art form. It's a very valid art form, and one that a lot of our listeners surely uh, surely appreciate and participate in themselves. And you can't see Keith right now, but he is wearing a a white white and purple, of course, uh, Vikings Brett Favre jersey. Um, uh, maybe like you said, you can't see him because this is an audio only show we do. But uh, maybe a certainly certainly an element of celebration, and maybe an element of trolling with the Jersey. I don't know um, far did play for both the Vikings and the Packers. If you forgot about that haiku three, please, sir.
1: Yes, so I'm sure a lot of your listeners had forgotten about they that had forgotten. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's,
0: a fa- it's a fact that's sometimes this escapes people's mind. Yeah. Number three. Okay. Change is a part of life.
1: I don't miss Zimmer at all. I hate the Packers.
0: <laughs> I hate the Packers, but let's, let's, you know what? That's interesting because, that's not something I talked a lot on Monday's show about, or have written about yet. And you know, I think maybe if they if the game had been closer, or if there had been some particular, um, you know, different different things going on. I guess Ben Gessling in his second day piece Monday, I just saw that go up um, on Monday, did write about how Zimmer's teams. One of the thing, one of the hallmarks of the twenty twenty one team was being Dismal at the end of the first half. Um, there was plenty of shortcomings last year, but they gave up. I think some, Ben Stat just 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 was ridiculous. I think they gave up eleven touchdowns and seven field goals in the last four minutes of the first half of games last year, which is more than a score per game. Um, I'm sure there was games where they gave up two touchdowns, things like that. So it all. I'm sure the math works out, but that there was something like a fifty point differential. Um, at the end of, at the, at the end of those first halves, I'm sure there's many reasons you might not miss Mike Zimmer after a opening win over the Packers by his successor. But, uh, that, that is certainly one of them.
1: Well, that, that is, that was atrocious. And my only quasi complaint about the game yesterday was the way they handled the end of the first half. Right. And they, they, they forced the Packers to punt. There was something like what I don't know thirty seconds left. I think
0: that was the actually actually that was after the interception that they got the ball back. Intercept. That's right. I'm sorry. The interception when they
1: when they got the ball back, and you had a seventeen point lead. Right. Perfect time to just kneel down. Yes. Get into the the locker room and then move on to the second half. But they created a situation to give the ball back to the Packers. Right. In a way that was almost reminiscent of last year. And that is the one thing that I think that I hope to see some improvement on, because I I guess I appreciate the aggressiveness of Kevin O'Connell and maybe wanting to try to get more points there. But you also kind of have to read the room, don't you?
0: Yeah, at that point, I was like, stop, just run the ball a couple of times. Packers only had, I think, one, two timeouts at the most like they couldn't they couldn't have gotten the ball back if they wanted to.
1: No, you kneel down there, you get into the locker room, you get the big cheers from the big crowd, you do not give your opponent another chance to to do anything with it. And they had the they ended up having to punt the ball
0: back. If they I'm did with mistaken. like not much time left. It didn't cost them, but but you the, the point being in your mind that they that they took some unnecessary chances there.
1: If you didn't think in the back of your head, just a little bit for one moment, that they could run that punt back and get a touchdown, you are not the Vikings fan. I think you are. Oh, that's true.
0: That's true. All of you out there should should be very familiar with things that can go wrong, will go wrong. But The larger point was they, they scored a touch. They, they stopped the Packers with about four minutes left in the half, um, got the ball back, and scored a touchdown. And then it was right after that touchdown that the Packers got the ball, and they were able to get that interception. So much cleaner in those areas, they, they played a pretty clean game overall. And again, it's just one game, but um, some validation for the, the new coaching staff uh, for sure. we'll see how that plays out over the rest of the season. Okay. Fourth and final haiku, please. Okay. <clears throat> I hate the Packers.
1: I cannot stress this enough. I hate the Packers.
0: Again, it's a moment in time. It's, it's not, you know, you're not hiding your feelings. It's good, you know, it's good to be expressive. It's good to let your feelings out. Um, it's good to be, you know, good to be vulnerable in that case. Tell people what you, you know, what you really feel and what you, what you mean. So there's no, so there's no mistaking, you know, how you feel about the Packers. You don't like the Packers, do you?
1: Um, that is the message I was trying to
0: convey. I hope that it came across. I had one. Do you want to hear mine? Oh, I'd love to hear it. Is it a haiku? It is. Oh, okay, great. Aaron Rodgers pouts. His receivers are too young, or is he too old? Oh, yes. <laughs> what
1: a crybaby. just a crybaby. Although, I mean, it, you do sort of wonder, not too much, but you do sort of wonder what would have happened if that rookie wide receiver had caught that wide oh, open yeah. touchdown on the first play. It could have been a much different game, absolutely, but it kind of felt like Rogers quit on his team after that, or at least quit on those receivers after Certainly.
0: that. He, well, he didn't throw the ball to Watson until like the end of the fourth quarter after that. <sighs> Just and you know,
1: God bless him for holding on to the ball too long. I mean, there was good pressure. I like the the pressure that the defensive line. Uh, put on, but it, part of it was because Rogers wouldn't throw the ball no. apparently to these wide receivers. And then they ended yeah. up with what, like five sacks or something like that. And so, um, it was fun to watch him be deeply, deeply frustrated.
0: It was, it was indeed. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see where this gets them the rest of the way, but, um, I, I think the biggest takeaway that we can take from all of this from you today was that you hate the Packers. That's true. I hope you guys enjoyed the extended Vikings content today. That should be a staple of Tuesday on Daily Delivery, although next week will probably be pushed to Wednesday since they play a Monday night game next week against Philadelphia. But I really enjoyed Kevin O'Connell's post-game interview from that first game against the Packers. Just listening to him, when you listen to a coach talk, you kind of get some insights into kind of their process. And just one thing that was just kind of subtle to me but was, was kind of telling and just kind of how he watches the game, just his answer about the thought process of when they got down deep on that first drive against the Packers. And, you know, he was talking about how, you know, third and eight, third and nine from that part of the field, those are tough yards. You've got to make different decisions. It's hard to get those yards. And he felt good about the way they were moving at that point. And just kind of his – just listening to his thought process, you get, you get get you get a comfort – I get a comfort, at least, that he has a good plan. He he watches the game kind of like you know a, a knowledgeable football fan might watch the game, and and you know better than that, obviously. But you know sometimes coaches lack some kind of common sense or practical sense of how a game is flowing or how a game, you know, what what a game, what the game dictates, what the game needs. And Kevin O'Connell, at least in a limited sample size, seems to have a good grasp on kind of how the game flow is going, what what football looks like as you're watching it and not just the X's and O's and what, you know, what do you think, you know, should work based on practice. It was particularly comforting to watch it because not all rookie head coaches had the same feel in their coaching debuts. Nathaniel Hackett, Broncos head coach, first-year head coach, coaching his first game. They've got Russell Wilson made the massive trade for him in the offseason. Russell Wilson going back to play his old team, Seattle, in the opener. Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive mastermind of this team. They move the ball beautifully in this game, but they're down 17-16 because of some turnovers. They're trying to drive for the game-winning score in the final minute of the game. They get the ball into around midfield. They they make a, they, they run a third down play that gets them to about the forty six of Seattle. There's still about a minute left on the clock. Clock ticks, clock ticks, clock ticks. They're not running a play. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm watching this game. While, you know, Kids are going to bed. I'm trying to go you know, sit in there when my daughter's falling asleep. I'm like, what What are you doing? What's going on here? They call timeout with 20 seconds left. They let like 40 seconds go off, and they bring the field goal unit out for a 64-yard field goal. Rather than trusting your franchise quarterback, the guy you've put all your, all your investment into, rather than letting him try to get five yards to actually have a manageable field goal. You try a 64-yard field goal, and I understand you have Brandon McManus, very good kicker. He has that kind of leg, and the kick he kicked wasn't that far off from being good. And if you make it, maybe the discussion is different. But even if he would have made it, it felt like a little bit, you know, no pun intended, of a long shot. Russell Wilson getting five yards, whether it's with his legs, whether it's with his arm, in that situation, feels like a better play to me, and just just felt strange, you know. You, you take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands in that situation, and you end up losing seventeen to sixteen. So that to me was was a telling thing. And we're going to see Kevin O'Connell in much tighter games than we saw the other day, right? they they, they weren't they were tested certainly in that game, but that, that did not come down to the wire in that game. We will see him tested in, you know, you got to make this call right now kinds of games later, and we'll see how he reacts. I hope he reacts better than Nathaniel Hackett, and I have some confidence that he will based on what I've seen so far. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I mentioned at the outset, um, Anthony Edwards of the Timberwolves facing perhaps some NBA discipline, likely would be a fine for um, some homophobic remarks he made um, over the weekend, posted to his Instagram account. Um, Chris Hine has the details on StarTribune.com. Edwards has already apologized for the incident. Tim Connolly released a statement on Monday. We are disappointed in the language and actions Anthony Edwards displayed on social media. The Timberwolves are committed to being an inclusive and welcoming organization for all and apologize for the offense this has caused to so many. Um, you know, I feel like people should get the opportunity to learn and grow in situations like this. Anthony Edwards still very young. I think he just turned 21, maybe a uh, you know a month or so ago. That said, he should know better. I-, I think he needs to take ownership of this, and it seems like he has. Hopefully, he can get better from this, and you know whatever whatever penalty comes from this um, is deserved. But now what what's interesting is I don't feel like he's had any kind of situation where he has been in a negative spotlight so far. It's been pretty smooth for him in the almost two years he has been here. This is the first kind of choppy choppy spot for him um and you know and brought it upon himself this is this is this is earned this is an earned um thing that he's going through but um I will be interested to see how he navigates this and how the team navigates this as they try to move forward because that is not a good look for Anthony Edwards and he needs to learn from it. That will do it for today. Should have a lot of Gopher football content on um, Wednesday show. Should have Randy Johnson on to talk. Hopefully they get a player from the Gophers as well. That team is one to watch. Like I said, um, they looked awfully good against two You know, admittedly inferior opponents in New Mexico State and Western Illinois, but this looks like a good team, and the rest of the Big Ten West looks like it could be there for the taking. So a team to watch for sure, and we'll bring you more on that on Wednesday's show. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Wednesday.